This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we, of course, are going to recap an incredible UFC 278 card, and I'm excited to say that it's going to be with our old friend, Bazooka Joe Valtellini, who's back from Germany after sitting ringside for a glory event. Always happy to be rejoined by the co-host of the show when he makes his occasional appearances to break down the biggest cards in mixed martial arts. So happy to have Joe back. Before we get into that, let's get into the monologue. This week's monologue is, of course, about what else? The kick heard around the world. Leon Edwards with a shocking, shocking win over Kamaru Usman in a fight that he was one minute away from losing, pulls a rabbit out of his hat, and lands a vicious head kick that knocks out Usman in the very fifth round of the fight. The very fifth round. Not the very first round, but the very fifth round. Anyhow, here it is. This is this week's monologue on the aftermath of UFC 278. In the words of Wayne Coyne, suddenly everything has changed. The world of MMA is such an unpredictable beast. Just when you think you've seen it all, just when you think you know what's going to happen, MMA will always surprise you. We've seen players hit walk-off home runs, but we know how many players are in position and what it takes to get there. We've seen the Atlanta Falcons squander a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl, but we get to watch them painstakingly give the game away play by play by play. It's a slow build. In MMA, all it takes is one. One strike and the fight is over immediately. No 10 counts, no lead changes, no clutch plays, just a singular blow, and it happens in the blink of an eye. A fight that Kamaru Usman was one minute away from winning becomes an indictment of his entire body of work. Pound for pound? Not anymore. Best welterweight ever? Maybe it was always GSP. Top five all time? Forget it. And why? Because of one strike? It's nonsense, really. Remember when Daniel Cormier beat Stipe Miocic and everybody said he was top five all time? Then he loses twice. In his 40s. And now he isn't? The accomplishments remain the same. And so too do Usman's. He has still accomplished every single thing that he had when he was given all those water cooler accolades. But even if he comes back and beats Edwards clean, even if he never loses again, one head kick adds a permanent strike to his legacy. Only in this sport can one strike make that much of a difference in the history of a fighter, a weight class, pound for pound. And that's why I don't want to hear people rag on champions like Woodley or Usman for calling out McGregor or Diaz or Canelo or whoever. The window is so small for a fighter to maximize their earning potential, to build their legacy, to bolster their brand. That's why we should want to see someone like Usman get the chance to move up two weight classes, to test the limits of his greatness, because prolonged greatness, especially in mixed martial arts, is fragile, a tightrope act that is always taken for granted. So hats off to Usman for an incredible run, which he may be able to pick up from where he left off if there's an immediate rematch. And how about Leon Edwards? People are going to watch this video up until this point and think that I am undermining his role in all of this. The ultimate spoiler who is a minute away from becoming another ruby on Usman's belt and does the unthinkable. But how does he manage to do it? To dive deeper, I took a look at the parallels between this fight and his previous fight against Diaz, where he nearly gave away a lead in the fifth round. He was on the opposite side of Saturday's scenario. He threw 132 significant strikes against Diaz, targeting the body 7% of the time, versus Diaz's 21% of attacks to the body. This time around, Edwards let his opponent Usman throw nearly triple the amount of total strikes, 247 to 85, and Usman had also attempted 12 takedowns. By being economical with his strikes, it allowed Edwards to maintain his power throughout the fight. And in contrast to targeting the head of Diaz 62% of the time, 
Edwards targeted Usman's body 40% of the time, a higher percentage than his head and leg attacks. Leon's diversity of attack, paired with his economical striking and letting his opponent do the bulk of the work while fighting at elevation is likely what is responsible for scoring the knockout blow. 24 minutes into the fight, Usman has tired arms, a battered body, and the false sense of security of seeing an opponent who is not putting out volume while you have taken over the fight and are one minute away from winning it. Chef's kiss. Bravo, Leon Edwards. And while the stats don't tell the whole story, and that may not have even been the game plan, it was the toughness, the confidence, and most importantly, the skill of Edwards that allowed him to avenge a years-old loss and do what no other UFC fighter has done, defeat and dethrone the pound-for-pound king. These are lessons that Kamaru Usman will bring with him into the inevitable rematch. And if this was indeed Edwards' worst night at the office, as he claims it was, we should all be excited for what's to come. I'm Aaron Bronstetter, and this is The Monologue. That was The Monologue, and what other subject could I touch on, of course, other than the head kick heard around the world, crazy crazy moment in mixed martial arts and there's nobody i'd rather talk to about the crazy moments in mixed martial arts yeah. it's been a hot minute since we've had bazooka joe uh on the tsn mma show and uh you are back from germany called glory crazy main event uh yeah. I, you know we've we've never seen jamel ben sadiq look that good look in that kind of shape that kind of technique must have been something to behold but before we dive into glory why don't we go right into the ufc mm-hmm. yeah, what did you think i mean i, mean, I, I don't i don't know what else to ask you well, I mean, Bazooka Joe style with that head kick, which kind of was exciting. And it's like, just, man, I mean, the story, the effort. I mean, I don't like people calling it lucky, but, I mean, it was just timing, the moment, the excitement when it landed. To me, it was one of the more shocking moments of all combat sports. Like, the way, the timing, losing, how the reaction to it. I mean, I mean, everybody's saying it, but that's what makes the sport so beautiful. The fact that you can kind of get these types of finishes so late, and it's the ultimate finish. You can punch someone and knock them out, but to get the head kick, there's nothing more valuable than that. I had one in my world title fight, and it's the one I'll always remember, and it's just that head kick feeling, man. Leon is on top of the world. I got emotional seeing it because it brought back a lot of my memories from it and seeing pictures of him crying with the belt, and it's... Um, I think it was special. That post-fight interview got me. I mean, everything about it was special. Reminded me of my my underdog story and how close he is with his family and his reaction. I just loved every moment of it. Yeah, it was a a really fantastic moment. But tell me if you think this is true. When you're facing a guy like Kamaru Usman, the best pound-for-pound guy in the sport, at least at the time, there's no such thing as luck, right? I mean, if you go on BT's uh, Twitter, BT Sport, they have they did a bunch of behind the scenes stuff with Leon because obviously he's like the prodigal son of the UK, um, and his coaches were talking about the opening about you know he he dips this way if you hit him with the head kick you could catch him all of that in preparation. So I don't believe that there's such a thing as a lucky shot when you're talking about the absolute highest level of combat sports. It just to me it just doesn't exist. It's there, there's a bunch of things that have to happen in order to connect on a shot like that. Yeah, what what would you take it more like? Uh, people relating it to the Hail Mary. Would that be something you can relate it to? Yeah, I mean it's a Hail Mary. Hail Mary still involves skill. You still need to throw yeah. the ball. You still need to hit your target, and you still need to. Yeah. You know, there's a lot involved in in terms of a Hail Mary in order to be successful with it. Now, of course, a Hail Mary is not often that successful, and something like that that Leon Edwards threw is not often that successful. But you throw it. <laughs> you know what they yeah. say. You, you you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, and. Leon Edwards took it, but I also, in my monologue that you heard off the top of the show, talked about all the things that I think went into that moment. 
which is a combination of the following things. And you tell me if you disagree, because this okay. is just me as from the outside looking in. Economical with the strikes. If you look at Leon Edwards, he only yeah. connected on 10 in the third, 10 on, in the fourth, 13 or 14 in, in the fourth round. Sorry, in the fifth round. He was picking his shots. He was hitting with a lot of accuracy, 70% accuracy, but he was being economical with the strikes. Because if you look at the Diaz fight, he ran out of gas at the end of that fight. He threw 100-plus significant strike attempts. I think it was like 125. And he got tired. In this fight, he, he took it slowly. It was a slow accumulation of landing strikes and making Usman work. The takedown in the first round made him work and also got his um, adrenaline up, I think. I think mm -hmm. that he made Usman mad because Usman had never been taken down before, never been held down yeah. before. I think that that was one factor in fatiguing him. The other factor, I think, is making him work for takedowns. Five takedowns landed out of 12 attempts. It's exhausting. And even though Usman trains at elevation, there's a difference between training at elevation and doing five rounds in fight with a guy that's actually trying to hurt you badly. Yeah. I think that a combination of all those things made, and, and not to mention a false sense of security with the fight being a minute away from Usman winning, I think all of those things kind of added up to, to Leon Edwards being able to land a shot that could put Usman away in that fashion. Yeah, and I think Usman, um, I'm sorry, uh, Leon Edwards, it's that he couldn't, you can't over strike and overthrow with Kamaru because you're scared of that takedown. And when he gets you down, like you're sitting there basically for the entire round until the fight restarts. On, so, I mean, I think it's, you have to be a little bit more cautious in picking your shots. I think that naturally happens against a strong wrestler, but just that range is Edwards' range. And I think... I, I don't know. I don't remember who hearing it. I think um, in one of the, the journalists were saying it's like Kamaru is almost getting a little strike hungry. The old Kamaru probably would have pressed him up against the cage, kept him there, kind of held them there. But to sit in that range where, you know, Leon Edwards can use his kicks, punch to kick that that mid range that we call it. I mean, I think it just shows that Kamaru's getting comfortable, but you're still not at that level. It takes years to get to develop at that level. So I think it all just the kind of the stars aligned i think everything was just um something bigger in this world wanted leon edwards winning but yeah no i definitely agree with you he had the energy to strike at that point at the end of the rounds he was just very efficient didn't overwaste it a lot of times it was more like part of me was looking at it like come on leon go man like this is get out on your shield if you have to at some points like push it like your corners like you got to throw your hands a lot more i was agreeing with this corner he was kind of a little too patient at moments where i thought he could have went more but maybe if he went more he didn't have the energy to throw that so i mean who knows i just think the world and the universe wanted him winning that night it's also if he comes out guns blazing in the 50 he ends up on his back i mean that's yeah. the reality of it yeah. against you the can't guy overstrike if you yeah. overstrike, if you try to overcrack the steering wheel, he's going to find an opening. I think that the way that he did it was he, he really lulled him into a false sense of security. There's a minute left. Usman yeah. knows he's got the fight. It's basically yeah. over in his mind. And if you look, listen to the commentary, and if you, you see Leon's corner and the fact that he's not making eye contact with his corner, these are all things that were pointed out on the broadcast. I, I think it's basically at that point a foregone conclusion. You think you're going to win. Yeah. But with a minute left, Edwards doesn't think Usman's going to win. I don't think, like, yeah, in my mind, yeah. I think Edwards is like, at any given time, I can land the shot that puts him away. And it's not that Edwards has this big power. He hasn't gotten a finish in four years, four plus years, yeah. right? So at that point in time, Usman probably has that in the back of his head. This guy's not a finisher. I just need to ride out the last minute. He's probably tired, but he can't yeah. really show that he's tired. But I'm sure Edwards can see that he's tired. Like, it's all these little nuances that allow for a moment like this to happen. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think everything. I, I just don't like the what with the commentary the the body language of Leon between rounds. Like, I agree, it's not that didn't look positive, you know. So, like little things like that that kind of made it look like he was defeated, but he was never out of it. I mean, he was still setting up his kicks. Everything, like even the head kick moment, like a lot of that was set up with great strikes. He threw a lot of low kicks. He was like setting up the inside low. He was throwing the one-two. It was the one-two, then he hides the head kick behind it. So it was all set up. It was all strategic. The low kick set up the head kick. I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. If you go on the UFC stats website, you can see the diversity of attack. Edwards lands something like 30% of the head. 44% 44% of the body and like 25% yeah. of the legs. It's just he's always changing the levels of which he's throwing those strikes, which allows for a head kick opening. If you're not always targeting the head and you're targeting the body, especially at altitude, you yeah. want to protect that body. I think that that's one of the other things that really set this up for success. And if you look at how he threw the head kick, it wasn't one of those like crazy, you know, really high up head kicks, like in terms of the angle. It wasn't a very high angle. It wasn't a big arch. It was almost like a, a body kick thrown a little bit high, knowing that the dip could be there. Yeah, I think the main thing, I don't even know if it was the dip more than it was a one-two rear head kick. So we call that same side combination, rear hand, rear kick. And when you throw that, like, I mean, I'm getting technical here if you guys care, Good, but please. there's it's tempo, right? So if you throw a jab, cross, rear kick, it's usually jab, cross, then you have to throw a hook, then kick. So the first thing he did was he didn't throw a logical combination. So logical combinations are jab, rear kick, left, right, or you go jab, cross, left kick. So usually after a jab, cross, it's a left kick that comes, okay? So that's what a basic combination is. But if you throw jab, cross, rear kick, there's a little bit of off rhythm, same side combination. So usually it goes jab cross and then there's a little pause kick right so it's tempo but the way leon threw it it was before the cross was thrown the head kick was coming so it was one two head kick so that tempo change of the one two kick so lee uh kamaro thought the head kick uh sorry the cross was coming so he parried the cross but the tempo of the kick behind it was what landed so it was more of him pairing the cross that opened up for the head kick which beautiful timing so he, it was the change of odd combinations from the same side as well as a tempo change with it. It's perfect. See, this is why we need Bazooka Joe on the show here. I mean, there you go. I can give you the how. I can give you the why. I can give you the where. I can't give you the what. You, you <laughs> I mean, I hope it makes sense, though. I mean, without demoing it, it's kind of like, say it. I don't know if people got that, but I hope it made sense. I couldn't explain that. There's not a chance. I, I, yeah. What you just said, there's no way that my brain would ever go there. And that's yeah. why we, we, we love having it. This uh, this sort of analysis on the show because I can't provide right. it. Good. I'm glad I, I'm glad it made sense and not I didn't sound crazy and mumble jumbled to a lot of people because sometimes it sounds like a, a different language. Yeah, because I can again I can explain the level you know the where the strikes are thrown. These are all something I can do by just looking at the stats and the numbers. But I can't explain how he gets from point A to point B and and the go. art of deception and all of the little nuances that that go into this. Yeah. In well, fact, very few people in the world can. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I hope I hope I'm unique that way. I, I put myself as one of the best strikers on the planet, so I see those little things, hopefully. And you got to watch the best strikers on the planet this past weekend. And, uh, That's it. In glory. I mean, that was uh, – I didn't get to watch the whole card. I watched the main and co-main because uh, I had to end up buying it. I was trying to find it. Our 
um, broadcast home is the Fight Network in Canada. They had KSW on at the same time, a live KSW event. So I guess it was supposed reason. to be on Fight Network, though. Our graphic had that it was supposed to be on, which was weird. Well, you know, a lot of things are supposed mm. to happen in life, but we can't predict. Never happened. Well, if you looked at their schedule, KSW, they had a live event. They have the, they're the home of the KSW in Canada also. So uh, I couldn't even find glory on their schedule. So I had to just order the pay-per-view online. Pay yeah, my which five I bucks. Think that, yeah, it was four ninety nine. They wanted to make it a nice uh, rate for everybody. So yeah. hopefully it was uh, enjoyable. But the fights were incredible. I have to say it was one of the better cards that we've called in a long time. Um, that that like we'll quickly mention it. I won't go crazy. But that last fight, I mean, we talk about crazy punches and exchanges. There's a moment in that. There's two moments I'll always remember where seeing two heavyweights basically sit in the pocket and just throw hardest punches ever at each other first one was rico versus botter it was right in front of me and i i was i said it on broadcast i'm like that was the most wild exchange i've ever seen and at one point in that fight i saw uh benny and jamal just start swinging and i held my breath and i just i was closing my eyes because i'm like someone's gonna get killed here like someone's dying in this exchange so i mean it was just one of those moments that even me who's been calling fights and been part of martial arts i was like what the heck with that power the exchange i'm like it was just wild but i mean i think jamal just got everyone excited for the rico rematch you even messaged me about that rico rematch everybody wants it the crowd was chanting for it like it's just uh created a nice atmosphere for glory hopefully a nice payday for both those guys but i mean in the first fight, Ben Sadiq hurt Rico. Or, sorry, in the last fight, the previous fight. Yeah, ben all of them, he basically yeah. hurt him. Yeah. So, I mean, the shape that he came in for that fight, if he can come into the, the Rico fight, I would I would take him over Rico in that in that rematch, yeah. honestly. I you got to think, he's hungry, he's improving. Rico's making movies. He's kind of doing other things. Rico's looking on the way out where Jamal's hungry. Like, I mean, you can't beat hunger and dedication. But uh, if there's one fight you guys should watch, I mean... It was one of the most impressive debuts I've ever seen. Um, it's a kid who, who's from Ghana who um, lives in Germany now, but his name's Michael Boapea, and it's a free fight on YouTube. It was the Glory Prelims, um, Glory 81 Prelims. Michael Boapea, it's the second fight on the prelims. I think the fight starts on the 49th minute, but this uh, kid from Ghana via Germany was just incredible. Good pressure, good power, fought a good guy. I'm, like, I'm really excited to see this kid in the future. So that's one uh, good potential you guys should watch. I'm going to watch that today. That sounds great. Yeah. Now but, I want to ask you, with yeah. that head kick, give me your – where were you? What was the setting? What was the reaction? Were you at home? Did you yell? Did oh, you yeah. scream? I, mean, I was at home. Did you wake the kids it's, up? It's, it's right in the middle of the night. Like, it's probably 12.30, 12.45 at that point in time. The fight's basically You jumped over. up you're, for sure. You hear the you commentary talking about it. They're like, oh, well, you know, it's gonna, is this a moral victory that's going to go the distance? And then John Anik, you know, poetically says, I don't think that's the cloth in which Leon Edwards yeah. is cut. And then he hits the head kick right Dang. after that. Yeah, loved it. And I don't know how, like, if you watch the, the commentary team, it's always like Rogan with his arms back looking like he sees like a ghost entering a room. Mm -hmm. Cormier looking like Shocked, sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then Anik looks like he's about to explode but maintains his composure to get that call out. Like, he's, he's so good at what he does because you see him, again, it looks like he's on the brink of spontaneously combusting. Like, it looks like he's red, he's sweating, he's at the end of the night, yeah. and he looks like he wants to get up and scream. But instead, he's able to go through the call and call it as it happens. Like, I don't know how he manages to do it because that is... There have been three times where I've jumped out of my seat for a main event in terms of how it ended. The first was Chael versus Anderson. Yeah, for sure. And I said I that was. The, I said Leon, going. like on on Saturday, I said Leon 
versus uh, I go, that must be, that's the craziest ending to a title fight I've ever seen. And a lot of people were like, well, what about Anderson and Chael? And I was yeah. like thinking, yeah, you know, that's like, that's true. Because at the time, Chael was smothering him for four and a half rounds. Yeah, but, but it was more, time, it was a triangle where it was like a slower, yeah. like, you can it also wasn't see a it get set up. Exactly. Yeah. You can see the setup. You know that when you, you're in someone's guard, that can always happen. When you got two guys standing up, again, a guy that doesn't have a ton of power like Leon Edwards, at least it doesn't have that one-punch KO power that we've seen at a high level against the top guys in the division. And we've seen it. We saw he had a seven-second knockout early in his career. I mean, I'm not trying yeah. to take anything away from the guy. Uh, but, I mean, all of those different factors to me made it crazy. So that was the first time I jumped out of my seat for a main event. This, do you want to guess the second time? Uh, Ronda Holly Holm. No, I saw that one coming. Okay. All right. Uh, another one. Uh, I want to say the spinning elbow, Yair Rodriguez. The up elbow. Yeah, the up Rodriguez. elbow. Yeah, yeah. That's the other time. That was the other one. Chan Sung yeah. Jung, where I was pacing and, and screaming. I was in the yeah. office. <laughs> That's funny. And yeah. I was just pacing around, holy s, you know. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that was the other time. And then this was the third time where I'm in I'm in my basement watching the fight. I didn't go to Salt Lake for this one, um, and I just jumped out. Like I jumped up like. It was almost like I got like shocked, electroshocked. Yeah. Just like jumped yeah. up, and I was like, I can't believe. It. I wrote what just yeah. happened when, yeah. when that, ha- and then what just happened was trending. Like really? so That's many people have written what just happened. What? Yeah, yeah. Was I trending. loved seeing the fighters' reactions, like when like when they go to the. Um, what is it, the crowd, and you just see all the fighters, like either half of them are like mouth open, some of them are jumping around and screaming, other ones are just like holding their head, like just wild. You can't, moments like that, it's like the camera on you is so important because you have no idea how you're going to react. It's just your body takes over you, and it's just nuts. And It's incredible. It's a great one because you you can see Israel. Did you see Israel's video of how he reacted? Yeah, no, I actually did see that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because... Him and Usman are close because they're from Nigeria. Like you know, one's, they're both from Nigeria. They both represent Nigeria, mm-hmm. so they have a close relationship in that sense. They're both champions representing that nation. But at the, on the flip side of that, uh, Israel's manager, who he spends much of his time with, is Tim Simpson, who is really close with Leon and is Leon's manager. So yeah. he's kind of has he feels happy for Tim, but you can see he's yeah, conflicted because yeah. it's it's Kamaru like. I, that's a tough spot to be in because, and then I saw some people be like, oh, Israel's such a phony because he's turning on his guy. He's turning on his, and it's like, no, no, no it's not what it's about. He's happy for both. Like he's yeah. probably close with Leon also. I mean, it's the same management group. Tim is, does so much day-to-day stuff with both those guys. So like, I understand it. I can understand why he's like happy for Leon and Tim, but also like upset for, he seems conflicted in the video because you of don't want to seem too excited about it. Yeah. And he yeah. probably but is look- excited, but he's probably also upset. You know, it's kind of both yeah. things. The Leon story is amazing. How can you hate on that? You know, like, like the underdog story that come from nothing, the all of the barriers he had to go over. Like, you kind of have to like no, Kamaru can be your best friend, but you got to appreciate the story, the grind, the hustle that Leon went through. I mean, it was just beautiful. I mean, I think at the end of the year, you could possibly have three fight of the uh, three awards for Leon. You can almost have knockout of the year. You could have comeback of the year. And to me, it was one of the best post-fight speeches I've heard in a in a very long time, maybe ever. Like I loved that post. It was so real. Him screaming, "Look at me now!" The whole at one point, he's just screaming, yelling, yelling, yelling. Like it just. I think everything about that post-fight just gave me goosebumps. I, I that was probably my favorite that I've heard in a long time. Wow. Yeah. It was. It was powerful, and it's a powerful moment. It's you know. It's also. 
again, if, if you listen to my monologue off the top, it's about how one strike can just change so much in like in mixed martial arts. It's change your life. Well, it, it changes <laughs> it's life. Not just, it's not your just family's your life. life. It's not just you know? that. It's it changes the entire narrative of the sport, right? Yeah. Like it changes the entire history. It, you know, it seems over the top and seems hyperbolic to say this, but if you look at how much changes when he knocks out the number one pound for pound guy, Usman's now like number six pound for pound. Um, it's just one strike. Like yeah, Usman's winning that fight. It's a minute away from yeah. winning the fight. It's one, one strike. strike. And now yep. Edwards is a former, like he's got, he's going to be a champion forever now. Like his yep. life has changed forever. Yeah. Um, he just beat the one uh, second. Yeah. Not even one second. And last week you hear Dana White. Somebody asks him, I think it was like the last couple of weeks. Someone says, who's on your Matt Rushmore? And he's like, I think he says like John Jones, Habib, GSP, mm-hmm. yep. Ronda. And he's like, and Usman, he's like, and Usman's gonna, like, he's up there. Usman's getting there. Usman's yeah. not there anymore. Like, it's gone. Yeah, once, even if, one shot. And even if Usman comes back and he beats Leon emphatically in the next fight, like, that, that for, is, is he still gonna be the greatest welterweight of all time when you have George there? Is he still gonna be a top five guy? Like, what, what does he have to do now at age 34, 35 yeah. to get back to where he was that leading status, up that one strike yeah. right before that one strike was thrown? A split yep. second, all that just goes away. It's just so crazy to think about. You're winning now. You, yeah. You one strike, one yeah. strike changed. Yeah. When you think about it that way, it's it's crazy. It's insane. That's it wild. Is, it's wild. It's wild. And that's what what makes the sport so special. It's just like you can see these things happen in sports. Like the two examples I gave earlier, the Falcons being up twenty eight to three in the Super Bowl. I mean, they have a 99% chance of winning at that point in time, I believe, statistically. But you can see the Patriots chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. In baseball, if you're up three runs, you know, or you're up, even you're up 10 runs and you give up a lead yeah. in the ninth inning. I was going to say three runs. Yeah. There's probably more than three, well, you three, know. Well, like... you see a grand slam. It ends the game. But yeah. I'm talking about, like, if you're up 10 runs and, the, you know, the team just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Yeah. Like, you can see it happen before your eyes. This kind of thing is just like blink of an eye. Done. Yeah. There's no 10 counts. There's no standing eight counts. There's, you know, there's none of that stuff. It's just, it happens. And it's like in tennis, if somebody's up like straight sets and then they lose three straight sets, you watch it's an accumulation. To the goats too. It's like to Roger Federer. Like it's happening to Federer. It's happening to Nadal. It's not happening to just any other player, right? right. You're talking to one of the best the that we're talking pound for pound. The greatest in the world right now, right? Like it's It's just, it's, it yeah. blows my mind. How much, when you think you know what's going to happen in, in MMA and you talk about Usman, he's going to move up to 205, he's going to be one of the great, none of it matters. It's just like yeah. in, in an instant, it can all change yeah. and flip on he, its head. He didn't go Bambi leg. It wasn't like, oh, he got hit and he's stumbling. Yeah. Like Bad it stoppage. was out cold. Yeah. Like he was on the floor, like heavy breathing. Like it was like complete shut off. Like, but so was Tyson Fury phenomenal. against Deontay Wilder. True. He True. was out and True. he came back. Popped yeah. up like the Undertaker. Yeah. Speaking There's of which, a difference between a big yesterday? glove and a bare shin to your face. You Speaking know, of the Undertaker. See Contender Series yesterday, where the guy landed a tombstone pile driver. For the I did win? see that. I did see it with it's the popped crazy. out shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. So his team, the guy from Georgia, Gogoladze, his team is saying that he actually dislocated his shoulder when he was setting up the submission, not from the slam. But who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I was going to tell you that the Dana White's becoming like every. If you win by finish, you automatically get a contract now. Like I mean. It seems no, like every not time. Not necessarily, but I mean, yesterday's episode—they all got contracts. They all deserved them. I thought, like, 
watching it. I, like, there was nobody at the end of that show. In fact, I tweeted before I gave out the contract. I go, everybody should get a contract tonight. Like, they all look yeah. like they're UFC ready. They were all, even the, the, the decision at the beginning it was a great fight. Like, yeah, that first fight, uh, that girl fought, I think, in BTC, the one who lost. Amanda she, or something? Amanda, yeah. Yeah, she fought in BTC. I, I, I personally thought, like, when you see great fights like that, like, that both guys almost should have got contracts. Has Dana ever given the loser yeah. a contract yeah, as well? Because I'm like, that was a time. fantastic fight. Both of the, these girls, the way they fought should have been in the UFC. Well, like, they, come on, they, that they, was like, great. I spoke to Amanda after the fight and said, I'm going to give you your win money even though you lost the fight. Yeah, she, goes, she deserves she the goes, contract, actually, too. She goes, I'd, I'd rather have the contract. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. She deserved it. She yeah. was fantastic. The young kid was great, too, with the spin yeah, kicks. The, South Africa. He, he looked, yeah, the South African kid. He looked great. I mean, yeah, they were good fighters, but I've watched the last couple of weeks, and it just seems like if you win by finish, you automatically get a contract. So, yeah, I mean, it's just... Yeah, all right. Because uh, I know, I mean, that first week, he was stingy on him. But, As he should have been. Yeah, yeah. I thought no, that no, no. he set the tone well, well after that uh, that episode. Yeah, finisher, you get your contract. But I mean, if you get an easy, what happens if you get a tough fight? Like, I mean, hopefully well, he I takes mean, that he, into account. You know, consideration. I think like I hope so. If he's because the the win that there was one guy who won yesterday. I I actually loved the guy. I thought he was great. But uh, it wasn't the most. A lot of it was takedowns. It wasn't the most exciting. The, the heavyweight victory. kid? No, the no, heavyweight. It was the, no. Uh, the flyweight actually. Oh, the first uh, first one. I'm trying to think which. How, no, the, the girls were the first. I got from Mexico. I okay. can't remember his name offhand. He was a really fun fighter to watch. But, you know, a lot of it was takedowns, and it was like trying to avoid being on the feet. Dana White usually will forego some of those. But he said you know, this guy was an underdog, and he kept pushing it. He, he, he got the, the submission feet, at the end, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah, third round okay. submission. Yeah, yeah. It was, eh. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't as exciting, but he was more wrestling-based. But uh, that dude I'm always biased. reminds me of, like, a guy from, like, the early 2000s, like, mid-2000s. He was, like, stumpy guy. Great yeah. wrestling, always pushing the wrestling, looking for subs. I love that kind of fighter. How old was he? he? To me, he looked super old. He did, but I think he's in his 20s. Yeah, I was like, man, the guy looks like he's 40. Like, well, yeah. how old is he? But, <laughs> he he uh, fought yeah, like he was a done. guy who should be 40-something now. Yeah, he looked like he looked like a, a small Luke Rockhold out there. He he looked like uh, there was a – that's the guy's name was Aguilar because he looks like Kevin Aguilar mixed with Julio Arce. I said if Julio Arce and Kevin Aguilar had a baby, it would be this I guy. have to think of Kevin Aguilar is. He was an LFA who. guy, ended up in the UFC, okay. had a cup of coffee in the UFC. Good fighter. Was a champion in LFA. Um, yeah. Why don't we talk about the rest of this card? I mean, it's, let's uh, do it. It's it was hard to pretty good still. But, I mean, the rest of the card was solid, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, it's hard to go beyond that one that one finish because it was so like oh, spectacular. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about the rematches? I mean, the the line is basically the same as it was for this fight. Usman's a pretty sizable favorite again in the rematch, um, and it looks like it's going to happen somewhere in the UK. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's you got to think Camaro should be the big favorite still. You know, does one strike change it? But I mean, I'm sure. I don't think the fight will change. I think it'll look the, almost the exact same way without that moment. I'm gonna ask you know if I mean? can go over to cover that one. If it's gonna be like a big stadium event, I feel like I should be there. Yeah, you. A lot of people are talking about that. Like, I mean, being like this big, crazy, the the fight everybody wants to see. Like, is it the fight everybody really wants to see? Well, Dana White. Like, why is yesterday. everyone so excited he about said it? That when they do fight nights at the O2, it sells out in minutes. Right, so if you're talking about a pay-per-view with a, an English fighter headlining it for a championship, and he's the champion, and the way that yeah. he won that fight, it's kind of the perfect storm of when you would want to have it in, in like at a at a big stadium if you can. Oh yeah, you stack it with all the the UK yeah, stars. So many big fighters. Like by by then, Aspinall will hopefully be fresh. It'll probably be in I would guess February or March. January is yeah. going to be in Rio, so it's not. You can rule that out. Usually, March is in Bar, as at Barclay, at in Brooklyn. 
So if it ends up being in March, I think Barclay might be out of luck for a second, well, I guess for fourth straight year, third straight year, whatever it is. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't think the fight is exciting. More of just the atmosphere in the UK for it would be the exciting part. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. The atmosphere would be, that's the reason I would want Wild. to just to be Wild. part of the atmosphere. Just to hear Patty come out and just like all that fun stuff. Yeah, definitely. Molly, Patty, Aspinall. Yeah. There's so many good. They signed that heavyweight kid yesterday looked good. He also looked like an older guy, but but still, yeah, yeah. Call, I'll call him a kid because they're all kids to me now. That's it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm getting into that. Everybody's guy, a kid. That guy got signed. I was 19 when he was born. Like, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was like 19 when that when that you guy was born. Could be his dad. Yeah, I could be his dad. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else we got? Uh, Paulo Costa defeats Luke Rockhold, co-main event. In between rounds one and two, it looked like Rockhold was just like, well, this is it for me. Time to go out on my shield. I'm going to just do empty the tank and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he wasn't responsive to Perillo. Didn't really want to listen, like brushing him off. Like he didn't seem like he wanted his corner there and he didn't want to listen. But I like mean, I said, I think at that point in time, he was pretty much resigned to the fact that this was going to be it for him. So it was more like, yeah. I'm just going out on my shield. I'm going to fight how I want to fight. Yeah, he looked um, he looked every bit his age, you know, like I, I started to feel like, I mean, like even now, like, I mean, I'm, I still have a hunger, crazy spirit. But with him, like, I don't know, like, I mean, we, you haven't been hitting so much. So when you eat shots, you're like, oh, this sucks, man. Like, this is going to hurt tomorrow. Like you re- when you're older, you real you don't you think about tomorrow more like you don't you don't drink too much because tomorrow and the next day are going to hurt. You know, like you you think about the future more. And I think he thought about it, the, his reaction to getting hit. Like you never want to show someone you're hurt. He was making facial expressions like he didn't want to be there. Like the shots landed and it was like, oh, I was making like grimacing pain faces and just his body language. I mean, I think it was time for him. But um, as a for as a, as a fighter and a warrior, I think you need that last hurrah. And I think he got it out. Yeah, I think so, too. I think he just wanted to see what was left. Right. Like some, sometimes I yeah. think fighters want to do that. You've been out for a while. He took a big break, wanted to kind of, you know, work on his recovery. It seemed like his chin was starting to fail him. It didn't yeah. in this fight. But. You can tell that it was just like one last hurrah, and some fighters need that. Some fighters yeah. need to like they need to see that there's they they don't have it anymore. Yeah, but he made a fun fight out of it. Oh, I enjoyed sure. watching it. Like it him whipping those left hand, those left overhands while he's tired, scrapping. Like I enjoyed the blood in the face. I thought that was great. Smearing it in there is like just show his animalistic side. I think overall he brought excitement to the sport from when he started to when he retired. So. Um, I liked watching Luke Rockhold, but yeah, life catches up eventually. You know who didn't like that Rockhold was tired, that he had his hands on his legs in the second round? Who was that? Jake Paul. Jake Paul <laughs> said, if yeah, I did I, that... I, I don't know what that was. I want to hear that. Let me Jake, hear this. Jake Paul goes, if I did that, people would, cut, would say, oh, he's a YouTuber. It's a disgrace. You shouldn't be tired, blah, blah, blah. First off, you are a YouTuber. <laughs> you fought a bunch of MMA guys in boxing and a basketball player. <laughs> you are a YouTuber. Yeah. Luke Rockhold's a former Strike Force and UFC middleweight. Cha- you know it's soapbox time, Joe. He's a former Strike Force and UFC champion. He's 38 years old. He's fighting at altitude. He's fighting against a beast like Paulo Costa. And he's about. To, he's 15 minutes from retiring. That pe- that's why people cut him slack. That's why yeah. people are, aren't like, oh, this guy's a quitter. He's tired. We know what this guy's done in the sport. <laughs> You've boxed against wrestlers and basketball players. And you were supposed to box. Let's let's call this out for what it is, Joe. I like the it. Hasim Rockman fight. The Hasim Rockman fight 
was going to be a box office dud. Yes. Do you think that there's nobody they could have got to replace him to, fa- to box Jake Paul? Everybody wants to box Jake Paul. Thousands of people. You would have boxed him. They would have called you. Say, like, my hands up. I have my They would have called Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Yes. It's short notice. One Madison million, Square Garden. A couple million, yes, I'm there. You, yeah, we're going to pay you All whatever. Day. A million dollars. Easy. And, and you can't weigh more than 200 pounds on fight night. Done. I'm there. You would have been there. 100%. That fight was a dud. It was a box office bomb. You look at the tickets that were available that day. There were thousands of them. And there were 50 bucks. That mm-hmm. was going to be one of the all-time duds in combat sports. Because you know why, Jake Paul? You need MMA more than MMA needs you. You talk about how it's all about fighter pay and all this stuff. You make this music video and you say it's going to be made into NFTs with the, fight, the funds going to fighter. Where are the NFTs, Jake? I looked for them yesterday. I couldn't find them. The only NFTs I could find were the ones that you were shilling that are now worth pennies on the dollar. That you were getting your, your, your legion of fans to buy. Everything this guy touches is snake oil. He's a snake oil salesman. And I'm done with it. I'm calling it out now. I don't care if it's on Showtime. I don't care if they want me to cover it. No. I'm done. If this guy's going to disrespect MMA after what MMA's done for him, he mm-hmm. hasn't done anything for MMA. He's getting MMA fans to watch, to watch him box guys that are Division I wrestlers. Enough. Yeah. This, the whole thing is a scam. And he says he's about fighter pay. If you look at the press release that they put out after that fight was canceled, well, we paid all the guys on the prelims half of what they made. Do you know how much boxing prelim guys make? 2000 bucks. <laughs> if that, yeah. So, so basically... You lost your deposit at MSG. Yeah. You paid the guys a couple thousand. You said, oh, we're going to reschedule. Max. We're going to reschedule the Serrano bout. We're going to reschedule the bout with the other boxer that has any sort of name value. They're not getting a cent. Yeah. They're not getting anything. Hasim Rockman's not getting training anything. training camp. Nothing. Nothing. They did a full training camp. They were ready. It was a week before the event. So enough with this guy. People that are propping this guy up. I've interviewed him once. I'm not interviewing this guy again. People that are propping this guy up. The last event barely sold anything, and it still had Woodley, and it still had a decent name MMA guy. Nobody cares about him boxing Tommy Fury. Nobody cares about him boxing Hazim Rockman. Nobody thinks this guy's going to be a a great boxer. So stay in your lane, dude. Listen, stay in your lane. And if I criticize Rockhold for for being tired, then I should stay in my lane too. Because, listen, you can say, okay, well, he got tired, he's at altitude, blah, blah, blah. If you're going to question this guy and, and, and his stones... Maybe you should do MMA against Luke Rockhold. How's that sound? You want to you want to go against Costar Rockhold? Why don't you get in the octagon, Jake? Enough's enough with this guy. I'm I'm over it. And I was over it at the beginning. And I said it was a circus. And I said it was that that it was a. Uh, everybody said, "Oh, this isn't the bubble. It's gonna burst." The bubble's bursting. We got on on uh, one of these networks. They've got this KSI. I think it's the Zone. They're doing a KSI versus. Nobody cares anymore. Maybe the YouTube community does, but I think we've seen enough of this this nonsense already. And and Jake Paul. The jig is up, all right? And if anybody else wants to buy his pay-per-views and support this guy, that's on you now. That's one of my favorite Aaron Bronstead rants yet. I liked it. I mean, you're defending the sport. It's like someone made fun of your kid. I mean, it's like you got to stand up for it. Listen, I mean, fighter pay he, is an issue, and I'm glad yeah. that he's bringing awareness to it. Good on him. But do something about it. You're doing a billion-dollar – I think you got a billion-dollar fund for this betting app that he's got going on. Why don't you start a, a billion-dollar fund for the fighters, for the retired fighters, and disseminate that money that way? That's it. Yeah, no, he's using MMA. He's he's using and abusing them. He uses us for attention. He uses these guys as uh, examples of, you know, bad and good with the company. But yeah, no, I agree. He needs to kind of stay in his lane. He's uh, 
he's when when you look at real fighters and what we have to go through it's like you're kind of you're not us you know you're not us you're not cut from the same cloth we are you haven't put the time in the sport the dedication you know you've been training for a couple years man i so i agree with that he's got to stay in his lane definitely but uh I mean, he just uses it for attention to be popular, but uh, we have to stop supporting him. I agree with you. Yeah, it's enough. It's an, like, listen. How many MMA guys are in a box? Like, good on you know what? Like, Hazim Rockman Jr. is a legitimate boxer, and good on him for calling him out. But he's only you look at how unfriendly of a contract that was for the fighters for Rockman. Rockman ends up trying to make weight on the day he was supposed to, and, and failing. Mind you, that's fine. He didn't live up to the terms. That's great. But. The, they would have let that fight continue and go on if it was going to do well in the box office. If that would have been a sellout. Yeah, yeah, for sure it's happening. Nobody would have bought that pay-per-view. Mm. And we're done getting this false bill of goods. I'm over it, Joe. Yeah, so if he's going to call guys like Rockhold, a guy who was, who was lobbying for fighter pay all last week and doing press conferences and talking yeah, about... Yeah, I was just going to say that yeah. too. I mean, he was just... He's, they're, they're fighting the same fight. Don't bash the guy. Yeah. Use so, him. I think, we, I think it's time to call this out for what it is. And I know Jake Paul has like lots that. of money, and, and I'll give him his flowers for donating money to Mike Malott's fund for the, his coach. I'll, I'll, I'll give him a props for supporting Sarah Alpar when she had a GoFundMe. All that stuff is great stuff. You, you give the guy his credit for when it's due. But most of it, he just shouldn't get any credit for. And listen, I'm glad he got Woodley a good payday. I'm glad he got Askren another payday. But it's just, it's gimmickry. It, these circus fights, it is a bubble. It always was a bubble. And it just took a little bit longer to burst than some other bubbles. But that bubble's bursted. Yeah, I mean, the ticket sells itself. You know, people aren't as excited as they were. I mean, it is what it is. And if he can get Nate Diaz to box him, and Nate Diaz is going to make some money, good on him for that too. And, and I'm sure a lot of people will watch. Um, but I think they're going to be watching for and, Nate Diaz. Not again, for he Paul. still needs MMA, and he just keeps bashing a lot of the guys. I yep. mean... He needs he needs the sport to Personally, make himself. If Nate's not going to resign with the UFC, I hope he goes to Bellator, or goes to the PFL, and makes some money there instead of yeah. trying to box Jake Paul for a one. Uh, like Dana White, you know, to his credit, he always says it's like going out of business sale. That's what it is. Every single boxing match just feels like it's a one night stand. Yeah, I, I like like you said earlier. I'll I'll take the one night stand for that million. Like yeah, I mean, and I I'm blame still you. down for it. Yeah, I'd watch I appreciate it. that. Good. I hope so. If I fought Jake Paul, I hope you would watch it, Aaron. Yeah. At least that's the only exception, please. This isn't about boycotting right. Jake Paul, but let's just call it out for what it is. He needs yeah. MMA more than we need him. Yeah. Like, again, I, I'm not going to be the full hater on him. I do kind of respect how he's – I mean, I don't value him like a, a, a Luke Rockhold, but for someone who hasn't really boxed and he boxed pretty good, you know, he does his thing. I mean, I, it's hard to what he does, but he's going a little too far with the way he talks about it. It was almost like – uh, the reaction of uh, Stephen A. Smith there when he was bashing Cerrone. I think right. we kind of like same thing. Like, hey man, it's cool to say it, but like, yeah, there's there's a line you don't pass, you know? Yeah, and I think that even myself as a journalist, like, I I, I don't want to. You won't hear me oftentimes call anybody a quitter or anything like that. And yeah. listen, even if you quit in a fight, you still got there. You're like, you still yeah. put in the work. And yep. it's okay to if if you know that you're not feeling it and you want to save yourself from from further harm. And you want to tap out and get out? I respect it. Yeah, yeah. I can say it because I need. I I I've been a part of You've it. I've done it. Dude. But yeah, no, I agree. Like I I have a hard time too. Like even with other sports that I go to, it's like sometimes I'll sit there and I'll watch a soccer game or like 
I'll watch even baseball game and I'll be like, oh, I can hit that ball. Like, what the heck's wrong with that? How can he not hit? It was like, they're like, Joe, you cannot hit one pitch from a major league pitcher. I was like, what do you mean? I'll hit 10 of them. Like, and then like, you'll see it. You're like, no, there's no chance. So, I mean, <laughs> in, reality, in reality, it's like a lot of people just need to know. But I mean, it's just like all sports. Everyone thinks it's easier than it actually is. Fighting to me has to be the hardest sport of all time. At least baseball, you mess up. Yeah, you sit down. You mean you have chances. You have teammates in other sports. And you're one-on-one. The risk of permanent damage. The people watching. Your family not want to see you get hurt. The nerves of having to fist fight somebody. Like, there's so much more to fighting than other sports that I don't think people have the right to say. And Jake can, and Jake can box these guys that don't have a lot of boxing experience. I mean, Tyron Woodley has as much boxing experience as Jake does in terms of, in th- terms of sheer boxing. Like, in terms of X's and O's. Yeah. Sweet science boxing. Not striking boxing. So completely different. Totally different. Completely different. All right, let's move on. Marab Dwalashvili defeats Jose Aldo. I you know what? People might crucify me for this. I thought Aldo won that fight. Ooh, if you're looking at it from the really? If you're looking at it, if you're looking at it based on the criteria. First round, I think Aldo definitely won it. I thought, I thought so too. That hundred percent I agree with. Second you. round, Marab's pushing him up against the cage and landing pitter patter shots, landing like shots to the thigh. No damage. Then at the very end of the of the round, Aldo lands a knee right up the middle mm-hmm. and hits Marab with it on the numbers. That strike alone, to me, is better than the accumulation of Marab holding him up against the cage and not doing anything. Like landing a couple shots here and there. I would have given Aldo that second round, potentially. Like, I'd have to go back yeah. and watch. And third round, I think, is clear Marab. No problem. Marab gets, Aldo didn't throw anything out there in the third round. It did nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it was close. It just wasn't very entertaining. I think this is where Marab's going to have problems getting bigger fights. Like, you got to have a more of a, a strike style a little bit. But Aldo wasn't doing much either. I mean, it was just wasn't a overly exciting fight to watch. But I just think from stylistic points, Marab did what he had to do. He tried to take him down. He couldn't. Aldo showed good, great takedown defense. But... Holding him there, not getting hit by all those boxing, like that's success for Marab, you know, like not eating, you know, so many low low kicks where your your legs are, and he ate a few. But I think in when you know Aldo, it it is kind of a success winning, and I think that's where you kind of the judges kind of know this, and I kind of think automatically people are like, oh my god, like. You know, Aldo can't hit him, or he's pressed him. The fact that he did that, you got to give him the round, but that's not how it's scored, right? Now that we know scoring, that's not how it's scored. So it's really not that crazy what you're saying. Yeah, I'd have to go back and watch the second round and kind of go strike by strike. But I just remember in real time being like, well, Aldo probably should win that round because he landed. I, I didn't tweet it because I know people don't understand why. I could have yeah. shown my work and my methodology. Nobody would have cared. Oh, it would have just been crazy. Yeah. So I didn't bother. Fighting people on Twitter. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought that you could make a case that Aldo won that fight. And like you said... In order to get the bigger opponents, you need to do something exciting. He did that against Marlon Moraes. That was an exciting fight. He got got yeah. hurt in the first, came back from adversity, and got a finish. I think it was a finish, right? Against uh, did he finish uh, Marlon? I'm gonna look that up just to just to be double check. I want to think so. He yeah, did he got too. a TKO in the second round against Marlon Moraes. That was that, and that's the fight that got him the Aldo fight. And that's what, like you said, that's what you got to do in order to get those big fights. So, uh, for, if I was Marab, I would move down to flyweight. He's talked about it before. Sterling's the champion. You have yeah. to see kind of what happens with Sterling and TJ maybe before you make that decision. But uh, Marab said emphatically he's not fighting uh, Sterling. We should all respect that. I don't think we need to. Like Dana White says, oh, who cares if they're, if they're friends or not? I, I think it matters. And it, it does, like you share, it's a lot you share of people that kind of brotherhood does. with somebody. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not I, – I would have a very – I don't think I could do it personally. But I also want the world title, but I, I couldn't fight a friend. 
Because yeah, I, I take it to, I look at fighting too, like I need to have to think about really hurting that person. Because I'm a nice person by nature, but like I get really nasty in my head sometimes and I wouldn't want to have to think that way about a friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. I don't think anybody would fault you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, the rest of the main card, Lucia Pudilova defeats Wu Yanan. Uh, she looks really good. She was back. She's training under, um, well, why can't I, why? John Kavanaugh. I don't know why I'm spacing on John Kavanaugh's name. Training under Kavanaugh now. Looks really good. She's back in the UFC. Uh, good win for her. Uh, Tyson Pedro defeats Harry Hunsucker. This kind of seemed like a foregone conclusion all week. One minute yeah. into the very first round. Um, prelims, Martin Tybura ends up handing Alexander Romanov his first loss. Um, that that has to be talked about because uh, this was where the ten eight was the issue, right? In that first round. Yeah. So I gave it a ten eight, but it should have been a draw, in your opinion, right? I would have given it a draw, but let me just explain my methodology here, um, or, or so let me explain the methodology for why someone wouldn't have scored it a ten eight. Okay. So Tybura landed zero strikes in the first. Romanov landed like eighteen or nineteen. If you look at the official stats on the broadcast, it said thirty five, but the official stats say something like eighteen or nineteen. You need three Ds in order to get a 10-8 round. You need um, damage, duration, and dominance. Mm-hmm. Damage? Was there that much damage in that first round? Did he almost finish him at any point in time? That's kind of where you, you, you have to question whether or not it's a 10-8. If you feel mm-hmm. like there's requisite damage, okay. Maybe it's a 10-8. I thought there was. Uh, duration had for sure. He had, the whole, had him on his back for the whole round. Duration is mm-hmm. like a no-brainer. Slam dunk. But you need two of the three. And then domination, the way that domination was explained to me by Sal D'Amato is looking for finishes. Like when you have that duration, what are you doing in order to try to find a finish? Are you, are you really pushing the issue to try to get that finish? And I don't know if that was there either. Yeah. So but he you, had the back position a lot, but you're not doing but much with it. You're matter. not trying to finish it, it right? Matter. If, you're not, yeah. if you're not looking for finishes, you're not landing big stro- strikes, the referee's not in there being like, defend yourself, defend yourself. Yeah. Those are the kind of things a judge will look for in order to give a 10-8. So... While I have that at 10-8, I can understand the justification for not getting a 10-8. Yeah. Do you think now it's – I don't know. I think this 10-8 is getting a little bit more confusing for people now where it's like the judges still don't want to, but they want to, but they do, but they don't. Like I still think it creates almost another element, and, and I know you're all about simplicity when it comes to the scoring, and I think it's just now – the whole – the fact that you have to question it, there's got to be something more to it. I like I mean, judges are confused too. Of course, everybody is a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, we, we, we talk about the three Ds, but it means like everyone has a different interpretation of those. And it's still like, should I give it if I do? But if, then if I do, are people going to get mad? So I'm not going to do it. Like there's too many factors to it still now. So, I mean, hopefully it gets a little bit better. Yeah, I, I, think, I think they need to have some sort of uh, discussion about when giving 10 is appropriate. I, I learned about it in the judging classes, and a lot of the time, you know, I, I think a lot of judges are reluctant to give that 10-8. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know. Like one of the changes of the criteria was to make 10-8s more utilized, but they yeah. haven't been, so yeah. I don't know. I don't even mind even rounds more. You know, if it's a really, really close round and you're like, I can't pick a winner, you end up forced to, like, give it a 10-10. I'll tell you where you know? there should have been a 10-8 that there wasn't. There was, like, I would, I would have given a 10-8 to Saldana over Woodson in the first round, which would have been a 9-8 because he lost a point. But that should have yeah. been a 9-8 round. That's what I thought when I was watching He knocked it. him out. Fight was over. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> so, I yeah. mean, you can deduct a point. But like, let's—you can't take away the work. Yeah, yeah. 
that first round, he, he dropped him a couple times, yeah, right? Been, the fight would have been yeah. finished. If, if, like, if he would have not landed that knee to the head to the, of a grounded opponent, he would have landed an uppercut or something instead. And then it would have finished over. it. Yeah. Yeah. You did good. I mean, I was shocked that Woodson and got inside that range too. So, yeah, yeah. So that that should have been a nine eight. And you know, Woodson yeah. got bailed out, man. He got bailed out. Yeah, yeah. And so did Saldana, yeah. because if if Woodson said no, I'm not kidding. continuing. That's a yeah. that's a DQ or no contest. Yeah, I mean, weird stuff. Yeah. So I uh, thought one of my easiest picks of the night would have been Albazi beating Figueredo. Yeah. If, the easiest, if you wanted to make actually. the easiest money in the world, you picked Albazi by finish and you you racked up. Well, you look at how Malcolm Gordon performed against both of them, right? Yeah, that's how that's how I picked it, having to kind of basically see Malcolm against both of those guys. But I knew Albazi once we fought him in our with Malcolm's debut. It was just like the kid's top pressure was fantastic, unreal. So I knew uh, Figueredo had no chance. He's a powerful guy for flyweight. Uh, Elbazi, yeah. yeah, thick, strong. I mean, Figueredo, I don't know. Like, he's just—I don't think he—he's good, but he just doesn't have something's missing with him. Well, he's not. So I don't know what it is. Problem. I mean, listen, you—you you see this all, all the time. You see brothers get into uh, the UFC, and one's just a lot better. I mean, look at Kamaru and his brother. It's not that Muhammad Usman's not a great fighter, but I mean, he was a like a plus three hundred underdog pretty much in his finale of the Ultimate Fighter. Ended up winning, but I mean, you know, sometimes. You're, you still come from the same family and same background, but uh, Usman was a wrestler and his brother was a football player. So his brother has a lot of catching up to do yeah, before yeah. he's compared to his brother. And that's yeah, okay. Good kicks on the outside, but okay, he just doesn't do anything else yeah. uh, with him. All right. Um, did you watch Usyk versus, I know we're on MMA show. I'm just curious. Did you watch the Usyk and... Uh, uh, no, I, it, they were watching it uh, at the end of the Glory event, but uh, it was I didn't get to. But uh, I will rewatch it probably some point this week. Did you see Joshua's antics after the fight at all? I, I so my interpretation was he stormed out because he was pissed, and then realized that this was unprofessional of him. So then he went back, and that speech he did in the ring I did not like at all. There's this, there's this account. I gotta find it on uh, on Twitter. There's this it guy. It was bad. It was bad. This, no. This British guy did like his own kind of commentary over it. I think it's like it's like a seven minutes worth of footage after the fight, and the guy's just kind of giving his own he his own like kind of it's almost like uh, interpreting his behavior and saying like this is what he's doing and looking like, snubbing his corner. British people are so good at being like the nicest people and like the most cutting people. <laughs> when it comes to like talking about others it's like yeah, it's so yeah, funny how that. it's like such a polite culture but when they're like angry about something like you heard this guy ranting on joshua and he's like look at this what a disgrace this guy is just it's like a seven minute video of him just it's like Upset. an anthropology session <laughs> where he's just talking about human behavior so what did you take from that was it good was it positive or was it cheesy because oh, he's putting horrible. on a it was show horrible. it was tacky and horrible you yeah. lost a fight. Usyk is is fighting not just you. He's fighting a war, yeah, right? Yeah. Like his people are at war right now. Yeah. To take that moment away from him, he took the Ukrainian flag off of Usyk and put it on himself. Yeah, yeah. Are to get the attention, me? yeah, dude. My go favorite. To the back. Let's go five uh, cheers for Usyk. Hip yeah. hip hooray! Hip hip hooray! I and I was just like, okay, yeah. it's a little weird. I know he's disappointed about his performance, but like, be a pro, dude. So listen to this. When I didn't know who won, so all of a sudden I just pop up and I seen the post that hit that speech. I'm like, oh, Joshua won. 
Mm-hmm. Because I was like, the way he's talking, I was like, he won the fight. And, okay. And Usyk looks dejected because the yeah, guy stole on his because he's shocked and he took his moment. So when I went downstairs to like uh, after the glory event to kind of celebrate and get some food and a beer there with with the other fighters, it was like I'm like guys, I'm like Joshua won. They're like, no, Usyk won. I was like, but I just saw a whole <laughs> speech of him talking on the thing. I thought he for sure won. So I was so confused at that moment. That was like when I watched Badly and Pacquiao. I like. I shut it off in the 12th round. I'm like, well, you know, badly just dominated. I'm going to go brush yeah. my teeth. Well, I looked in the morning and Pacquiao won. <laughs> yeah, like, huh? yeah. Yeah. That's boxing. I remember that. Yeah. Boxing will always that. surprise you too. Just like MMA. Yeah. Just because you just never know. A guy gave Josh, like one of the scorecards gave Joshua that fight. I watched that fight. There's no way you give Joshua that fight. But I don't, yeah, know, I was... I don't know how boxing <laughs> scored though. I don't want to rip Glenn Feldman, the judge who gave it to Joshua. Yeah, but I was online because I was like, oh, I, I can't really watch the fight. It's too past. So I, I was reading like a live by life, uh, play by yeah. like a round by round. And it was like, oh, it was going into the 12th. It was like, oh, I have it even going into this last round. So I was like, oh, it's close. So yeah, I guess Joshua won for sure. Well, I guess he won that last round. round. And it was just like, huh? I thought Usyk won the last round, didn't he? I don't, I don't remember. I don't know. I was so confused. But I mean, just I, I, I didn't think it was crazy based on reading the, the round by round that he won. But apparently he got dominated. So you, that's why I want to watch PFL? it. PFL? Uh, no, I did not. Okay. Well, Glory took all great. that weekend. With the time zone, I oh, couldn't right. watch yeah, anything. You were, yeah, you were. You could have was... probably gone to the Glory event. Just take, you know, head over. Take take a train over to the UK and fly, to, the, I don't yeah, know how far to watch PFL. Yeah, exactly. yeah, probably not. Um, but they did get their fight between Larissa Pacheco and Kayla Harrison for all the finals matchups that you know. I don't think that they did great in terms of their finals matchups. Uh, I think that getting Kayla Harrison against Pacheco, the third fight between them, I think Pacheco is a much better fighter now than she was the first two times they fought, and I think that's actually going to be a great fight. Yeah, I heard. Uh... She was getting um, compliments on her the promo she was cutting at the end there. She got a really aggressive, yeah. Well, she always does. Yeah, but I, I thought it was funny because uh, the way she interacted with the ring announcer. Oh, she asked him, like, yeah, it was like the poor guy probably felt awkward and, you know, like. She does it on purpose to him. Oh, yeah. That kind of relationship. That. She, loves, she loves making uh, Sean O'Connell antsy. Yeah, I had I had a two moments doing the in-ring interviews that were odd for me. I haven't done them in a while, so it was a little rusty. I didn't feel like I had to get in my my groove again. But uh, one of them was the that contender I was telling you, Bo Pea. Um, at the end, he's like, uh, he's like, oh, he, he he cut a wicked promo, getting aggressive. He's only 22 years old. He's talking. He's loud. He's he's hyped up. He's like. Who do you think I should fight? And he puts it like he puts the question on me. I was like, ah, I don't know. It's like, I should be next for the title. Do you think I should be next for the title? I was like, I don't know, maybe. Like, sure, I don't do this. Like, it threw me off, but it was kind of good, too. I was like, I thought it was funny. The second one, I wanted to pick your brain. I had to, first time ever, I've never interviewed a loser to a fight. Okay, so I've never done it. So in my mind, every time I'm done interviewing someone, it's like, let's hear it for your winner, so-and-so. Like, you announced the winner. So first time ever, I had to talk to the loser quickly. So he did his long thing, translation. And then I was – I couldn't – I was I ended it with, all right, and for your winner – I was like, oh, sorry, like loud on the mic, too, because I totally was going to call him the winner. And I said, sorry, you're – and I couldn't think of a freaking word what to call him. I didn't want to say the loser, the – so then I say everybody give it up. Title who was it, Adek Bowie? Uh, no, no, no. This was actually the end of the visa fight, Okay. Uh, the middleweight. So then I had to go back. I was like, I should have just said his name. Is there other things fight. I can say? So what What would you recommend you say? Just end it with the name, right? Yeah, just give it up for so-and-so, like – Show some respect for, or like, yeah, let's let's all hear it for, you know, tough fighter so and so. Yeah, that's yeah. That's all. Instead yeah. of like, 
the runner-up or the loser. And I'm saying the con- title contender, I called him. That's fine. I was like, okay. But it took me too many stumbling. And so I was like, next time I'm just going straight to the name and just, you know, let's hear it for, for you know. But it's like, it you're, so-and-so. but when you always say, applause. let's hear it for, you're automatically think you're winner. Because you do that nine, nine, out of ten, nine out of ten times. Let's hear it for your winner. So it automatically comes out as a flowed word. So I was like, man, I got to really kind of think that through. Well, I mean, he didn't win the fight, but he's still a winner in my book. Forget it. winner in my book. So much heart. There you go. That's how I got to spin it. Yeah. (laughs) Jeez. But now I got to, I got to clean myself up and kind of pull my pants up a little bit more. Don't lose leave over. It's your first time doing that. So, you know, you'll you'll get them next time, Joe. That's it. I know. I got to Don't mess up that glory collision. That's a big event. I did freaking great. And then all of a sudden my one mix up, I'm all, focused on it now that's i have what to you block should do. it that's, that's what a perfectionist does yeah so hopefully in that the helder dome where there's going to be probably t- over twenty thousand people i uh got these reps and so i'll what be ready to November? go october 8th october 8th oh that's soon that's pretty yeah like the next away. one we have is september 17th it's called our glory rivals show where yeah. we partnered with infusion so i'll be calling the glory rivals to september 17th but that's uh, i call it from a studio in new jersey yeah. even though the fights are in holland and then october 8th is our collision for alistair overeem bader harry that's in arnhem arnhem the netherlands in the helderdome that's going to be a big one ha. I don't have the Dutch Huzz. It's G E R H L D R Helderdome. Yeah, it's all right. It's like how Hel- it's like he- Helderdome. <laughs> Gelderdome or Helderdome. Yeah, you're doing well. You got I'm it. trying. Yeah, yeah, I get flack for it. I but... don't think there's uh, anything else we need to touch on. Is there? Is there anything we're forgetting about? Anything big uh, happening in the world of MMA? I'm not too sure. I know there's a lot of good fights being signed. Um, I'm trying to think which one I oh, saw Dan, recently. We have Dan Hooker taking on. Um, uh, Claudia Pueyes, that's happening in New York. You got the uh, women's strawweight title, uh, title in uh, New York as well. You got the, with his uh, Wei Li trying to win back the title from Esparza. Um, yeah, a bunch of bunch of fights being yeah. being put together. We have one week off, right? That's what we got right now. It's a week off, and then uh, next week we're right back at her. And uh, UFC is going to be in Paris next weekend. Um, nothing happened with Cedric Dumbe. You couldn't get on it, right? So I don't know how much of this is correct, but apparently the French MMA wouldn't let him. Yeah, they have some sort of guidelines where you need to fight a certain amount. Like you, if your opponent has a certain amount more fights than you by a percentage, you're like you're, they won't sanction a fight. Dude, Dubé's like had like a hundred kickboxing. He fights. has a hundred. I was going to say he has one hundred professional kickboxing yeah. fights. How do you not? So they have to use him elsewhere, I guess. Yeah, like... I don't know. I, it, he was taken off the roster page, but apparently he says he's still in the UFC. I really hope that he gets a UFC fight soon, though. That's ridiculous. Yeah, of course. But you of want course. to have him in I... France for that for the first France card. You have Dumbé. Like I don't know. That's yeah. To me, it's ridiculous. But they just legalized the MMA there, right? And is yeah, this a new rule first, that is this part of their UFC weird event. rule that yeah. they are adding now? Or yeah. So I don't. Know. I mean. Yeah, unfortunate because he's got he's two and zero or three and zero in MMA. It's not like he doesn't have MMA experience. Add the hundred kickboxing fights. I think he's more experienced than anybody. He's the most experienced fighter in France, probably. Yeah, 100%. in all of France, he's yeah. got more experience than Surreal Gone. He's got more experience than any other Is French Jerome fighter. Jerome French. Pardon me. Jerome Lebanner's Dutch, right? Uh, no, he's French. So maybe Jerome Lebanner has more. <laughs> but yeah. Jerome well, Lebanner is an old age, a little bit. <laughs> You never know with that guy. That guy will still fight tomorrow, probably. Well, I guarantee you he's still fighting. 2019, fought. so yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, he still fights. <laughs> Actually, Dumbe might have more. So he's got 86 wins and 22 losses, two draws, one no contest. So what's that? That's like 108, 
I think Levander has more. I think Doombay's around 90 fights. Yeah. And uh, Levander also has eight mixed martial arts bouts and one mixed rules bout. Mm, whatever that is. Yeah. Oh, well, so probably against, the kickboxing Sam, with so MMA. Probably some sort of weird, weird old fight. All right. Cool, man. Well, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to awesome let our stuff. listeners go. So, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Be kind to each other. Be well. Be enthusiastic. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.